0: Welcome back to the podcast series, Women Leading Change, by the Sahel and West Africa Club SWAC Secretariat at the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. SWAC produces innovative, evidence-based analysis to inform public policies in line with transformations taking place in the West African region. This podcast series tells the stories of women as civil society actors, activists, authors, leaders, health and humanitarian workers and entrepreneurs in West Africa. They provide examples of how their work is driving transformative change. These conversations also help Better Connect SWAC's evidence-based analysis with civil society advocacy and action. My name is Dr. Jumo Ayondele, and I am delighted to be your host for this podcast episode. Our special guest today is Mrs. Somachi Chris Asoluka. She is the incoming chief executive officer of the Tony Elumelu Foundation, TEF, which is the leading philanthropy organization that is empowering young African entrepreneurs from
1: all 54 African countries. Welcome, Somachi. Oh, thank you so much, Rima. Thank you. Um, we're well. We're good. From <laughs> Greetings from sunny Lagos.
0: So let's get started because, you know, you've done a lot of interesting work at TEP. And your organization aims to empower entrepreneurs. Today, we can see and we know that there are more female entrepreneurial initiatives, especially on the African continent, when compared to other parts of the world. What can you tell us about this new generation of African women entrepreneurs? You
1: know, I think that's such a fantastic question and a great begin, beginning to this um, podcast. Um, first off, we've seen that lots of women entrepreneurs are energetic, they're ambitious, they're creative, they're innovative, and they're beginning to drive economic transformation in their different communities. Um, when we started our program in 2015, when we launched our Tony Elimeli Foundation entrepreneurship program, We opened it up and we received 20,000 applications from across all 54 African countries. In that 20,000 applications, we noticed only about 23% came from women entrepreneurs. And that was troubling for us, right? Because through this program, we wanted to create economic hope, not just for African young men, but African young women. And so we began to become more deliberate and more targeted in how we reached African women entrepreneurs how we guided and supported them through the application process, and how we identified role models to encourage other women entrepreneurs to apply for our program. I'm happy to say that in 2021, for instance, 70% of our beneficiaries were women. So we selected and funded 5,000 entrepreneurs and over 70% of them were women. We disbursed about $16 million to African women entrepreneurs in 2021. I think that's a record. I don't think any other philanthropy has done that. But then it also, more importantly, I believe demonstrates the drive and the and the energy and the passion of women entrepreneurs on the continent and how they're not going to stay behind the scenes anymore. Um they're championing change. They're driving Businesses—they're coming up with transformative business ideas. They're scaling their small businesses, and they're employing um, other women in their communities and outside of the, those communities. So I think it's the it's the year for African entrepreneurs, especially African women entrepreneurs.
0: It's very good to see that more women are being funded, more women are applying, and are knowing about these programs to help scale up their their businesses. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you touched on entrepreneurship, right? And Entrepreneurship is largely an urban phenomenon and evolves over time with cities. So there's a new report by SWAC on Africa's urbanization dynamics, the economic power of African cities. And this report provides new data on more than 2,600 cities across 34 African countries. With your organizations positioning entrepreneurs as catalysts for social and economic development, what do you find interesting about this report? I mean, you've been, you're you're in Lagos, you've been to Accra, Freetown, Dakar. So what do you find interesting about this report and how does it relate to the experiences that you have seen um, in many cities that you have visited in West Africa?
1: But I think what I find most fascinating is how the youth are really at the center of all transformation across the board. So in Lagos, we see that Lagos is primarily driven by the informal economy. And when I say informal economy, I mean SMEs. And who really are the owners of these SMEs? Young people. So young people are the pulse, I think they're the heartbeat of urban areas and cities across the continent. Or what I'm most inspired by when I see um, the youth energy and passion in these cities. It's how they're providing local solutions to local problems, right? And so they're being more imaginative, more creative around solving some of the most pressing challenges that we've all lived with for many, many years, but our young people are coming up with creative ideas. I mean, we have an entrepreneur who produces um, reusable sanitary um, pads, and she does that out of bamboo leaves. And so... It's fascinating to me how for a long time we've known that our young girls are not going to school in the same numbers as our young boys um, because they're, you know, facing these challenges in terms of keeping clean, making sure they're they're not staying DTC. But we're seeing these young people come on board with a new lens, a new mindset in terms of solving these um, problems that we've, you know, we've all faced for a while now, with local solutions, local tools, local resources, local expertise. I mean, it's it's transformative. But I'd like to add that it's important that when we're discussing development, we don't restrict it to the urban um cities, right? I think that it's very important that we look at the sustainability of our urban areas and understand that intense migration will continue to put too much pressure on our urban areas. And so it's important that the same economic hope and economic opportunity that we're seeing in these urban cities, we should try to recreate and replicate that in the rural communities so that we have our young ones stay put and gradually transform those rural areas. Instead of everyone coming to the cities, I'm putting too much pressure um, where we see city infrastructure collapsing. We see resources being a little too scarce etc., etc. So I'll give another insight. So the foundation, when we started again in 2015, we had, I think, about 85%, 90% of our applications come from cities. Again, we knew that we needed to be more inclusive. We knew that we couldn't create hope. And so I'm happy to say that in our last program last year, we had 60 40 representation meaning that we had 60% applications from cities and 40% from rural areas
0: it's such a fascinating perspective because you know there there are positive spillover um, effects from urbanization mm-hmm. that's what the report also demonstrates it also shows but in policy circles there is this concern that you have highlighted that urbanization might widen this rural urban divide especially when it comes to economic agency and when it comes to the economic agency of rural and urban women, um, and some of the initiatives that TEF has, has done and demonstrated shows that you are aware about this divide. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm just curious, um, with some of the initiatives that you, you have funded in rural areas in West African cities
1: and how that has transformed, um, um, these areas. Exactly, you know, I think that's a fantastic, fantastic question you just asked, because what we're seeing is our rural entrepreneurs are entering into part, of rural based, not rural entrepreneurs, our rural based entrepreneurs are entering into strategic partnerships with their peers who are in the cities, and I'll give an instance. So we know that one of the challenges that faces our agriculture sector on the continent is food wastage. We don't have infrastructure that stores food. Um, that transports it in a safe way and gets it to the consumers on time. So we have a lot of agricultural entrepreneurs who are partnering with their rural-based counterparts to build storage facilities so that when this food is harvested and when these products are vested, it's properly stored. And then they have the right conditions in the storage facilities. They're building that. And then it's safely, um, hygienically transported um, to the urban cities. Where it's sold for much more um you know much more money another another way they're partnering is we find our city on um, city-based entrepreneurs who have digital platforms where they sell um foods and crops etc directly to households in the in the cities right but then they need to source it from rural areas and so they are partnering with our entrepreneurs who are farmers and who harvest these things to send it to them. And then these city-based entrepreneurs use their delivery channels to get it to the homes of um, consumers across their cities. So they're very innovative ways in which they are partnering and showing us that value created in one area can easily be felt in another area. And so they're coming up with very imaginative ways um, to work together. And final instance, one of our entrepreneurs um, wants to create, or actually is already creating, the Starbucks for Africa, right? And So many of us are coffee addicts, so we're very fond of Starbucks. And what she's been able to do is with our initial grant of $5,000, which she received through the Tony L. Foundation Entrepreneurship Program, she started this business. So she was able to rent out an office space, do some marketing um, campaigns, and get the first products to market through the $5,000 grant. She's done so well with that grant that we entered into a new partnership with the European Union, where we selected a hundred of our best performing women entrepreneurs and gave them additional grants of 50,000 euros. Now, with this 50,000 euros second grant she's received from us, this entrepreneur is no longer, you know, creating coffee and her chocolate with imported cocoa. She's now empowered some rural-based women farmers who are growing cocoa for her and sending it directly to her. So she's building her Starbucks in a way that it's done in Africa, produced in Africa for Africa with African um, crop and, you know, cocoa. She doesn't need to look externally for that cocoa anymore. So this is a case where an entrepreneur who lives in Lagos, she's now empowered women in Northern Nigeria to grow these cocoa beans and send it to her. And so, I mean, our entrepreneurs are doing, brilliant, creative um, things by partnering with each other across these geographies.
0: Wow. That's, that's very, very important work that you do. And it's so great to hear that you are scaling up a lot of this like innovations and, you know, you're, you're very, very intentional about mm-hmm. the projects that you pick and you also yes. have to scale up. Yeah, okay. And I know you had mentioned, you know, a couple of minutes ago about Um, you know, using digital platforms and we know with our youths, with social media, there's this shift towards online income generating opportunities, which you alluded Mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do know that we see fewer women that are employed in the digital tech sector, but more and more actually prefer this option when compared to like a career in the corporate sector where we see like company policies on marriage and childbearing. So. I'm curious, like with the initiatives that you have funded, um, with the people that you mentored, do you see this trend among, you know, your female entrepreneurs that you help to support?
1: Yeah. So on that, I want to say two things. So first is across all sectors, we knew that in order to encourage more women to apply for our program, to even take that chance on themselves in becoming entrepreneurs, we knew we needed to appoint role models. So it's one thing to see a newspaper ad with, um, you know, a flyer saying, apply to become a Tony and Millie Foundation entrepreneur. But it's another thing to see a woman who looks just like you in that ad telling you, I have been able to grow my business from two staff to 100 staff because I was a part of this program. I'm a woman just like you. I have children. I have a family I'm raising. I did it. So can you. If I could be successful, you can too. apply to the program. Those are two different messaging. And so we've seen, and, and we know because we've grown up our, our representation from, as I told you, 23% to what it is today, because we appointed strategic female role models who told their personal stories and inspired other women entrepreneurs to join our program and take a chance on themselves in becoming entrepreneurs. So this is true across the tech sector, across the digital sector, but also across all other sectors: fashion, education, healthcare, commerce, retail, etc. see. We need more role models. We need representation. Representation matters so much. And you, you, you Many times, I think we um, underestimate the power of seeing yourself in a role model or someone you want to be. It, it drives, it drives action in a way that you know not many things can. Second thing I want to say is that, and it follows on from representation, but you know, when we have more women as business owners, when we have more women driving companies and starting companies and hiring um, labor and talent and, and building a team, we will have more company policy that is accommodating to women and what we go through. And so when we continue to have boardrooms that are dominated by men, it's not it's not unexpected that the policy will be women unfriendly because in order to have a policy that is friendly to you and your situation, you or someone who looks like you need to be in that room. And that's just the reality. And so that's why the work that we do is so important in identifying and creating more women entrepreneurs, because that's the way we can change the African private sector, if we have more women entrepreneurs starting and scaling their businesses, then those become the big businesses of tomorrow. And we have the women at the helm, then those policies will be friendly. So that we have women who are able to achieve their fullest potential across all industries, across all fields. And they don't need to choose what fields to go in just because they need one that's friendly towards their situation. No, that's not right. Men don't have to um, go through this extra burden of choosing what industry to play because of policies that can accommodate their realities. And so women shouldn't be forced to. Um, So yeah, representation matters on so many different levels. And that's what we're trying to do by driving our female inclusion and really bridging that gender divide. So my final question,
0: right? Because we've been talking about entrepreneurship, but there's no entrepreneurship without infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. some of the reports, policy recommendation, um, focused on improving urban infrastructure and promoting cities as hubs of innovation. In your view, how can cities provide a more favorable entrepreneurial environment? I mean, when it comes to entrepreneurship, we always say the federal government, the state government has to have an enabling business um, environment or we sometimes forget that cities also play a role. So I'm very, very curious on how you are thinking, how you envision cities such as Lagos, Accra, Dakar, Abidjan, providing a more favorable um, entrepreneurial environment, given the work that you do at TEF.
1: Yeah. No, no, John, that's a great question. And it's funny because yesterday um, I was having a meeting with some of our partners and it was exactly what you just said, that a lot of times when people go through the frustrations of infrastructure failing in Africa, they're very quick to blame the federal government. And then our partner gave the example. He said, you know, most roads that we use in Lagos here, only about 20% is actually FG responsibility. That's that's federal government responsibility. And the majority is state and local government responsibility. and, And that's exactly what you're talking about cities now. I think first is, we need to understand that some of these policymakers across F, the federal government, um, state government, local government, ETC, are well-meaning, but don't have the insights and the data to influence and shape the policies that they set. And we've had several incidences. For instance, you know, we, in 2018, we were visiting a state governor in Nigeria, and we before we went to that meeting, we did a survey of our entrepreneurs in that state asking them what were the, some of their most pressing business challenges. And so they responded to that survey and were able to create a small report that we took to that state for the meeting. And in the course of the meeting, we presented the results to the, to the governor at the time. And what the entrepreneurs in that state had said was that they were fine paying tax to government, but that in that state there was so much duplicity of taxes that it was stifling any business growth. So they were paying the same tax to so many different agencies who had been authorized by the state government to to, to collect those taxes. And so when we presented that um, report to the governor, and it's important because the entrepreneurs weren't complaining about paying taxes. They were fine to pay taxes, but they just asked for some some structure and some harmonization in the payment of the taxes. And so when we presented this to the governor at the time, You know, he was stunned and he was silent for a few minutes. And he said, you know, if anyone had asked me, what is my biggest legacy in government? I would say it was empowering and supporting my young startups. And so to receive this report shows me that reality. So my reality and their reality at worlds apart, you know, I promise you, and I commit to you entrepreneurs in the room in three months time, you will not face this issue, and it's going to be one agency who are empowered to take all taxes from startups. But in three months down the line, I was in Lagos, and I saw a newspaper headline. That governor had done what he said he was going to do. But many times, some policymakers just need the data and the insight. They need that table where they're on that table, and then entrepreneurs are also brought to that table. So that there's direct dialogue, and there's unfiltered access to what's happening in reality. The data, the insights, the challenges, the problems, the concerns, you know, you need to hear it directly from the hostess' mouth. And so that's why the work we do, I feel, is so important because we're not only funding and mentoring and coaching and training these entrepreneurs. We are also giving them that access, direct access to their policymakers, so that the state's environment, so that the local government environment, so that the federal environment is conducive for their businesses to thrive. Because that's the only way entrepreneurs can do well. You can have all the funding in the world, all the training in the world, all the coaching in the world, but if that business environment is stifling and inoperable, you will not go far. And so it's so important for them to have a direct contribution to the policy that they are regulated by. Second thing I'd like to say is, you know, across Africa, and this isn't just in Nigeria where I live, but access to electricity is such a huge problem. You know, we have entrepreneurs who report that they spend over 80% of business profit on powering their offices, powering their businesses. How can an entrepreneur grow if they're spending 80% of profits that they should be investing? back into their businesses in putting light in their businesses. It's offensive, it's cruel, it's unjust for that to continue to happen on our continent. So that's why the work that we do is also in advocating and letting governments know that government cannot provide all the infrastructure that entrepreneurs and private sector would need. You need to open up and get out of the way sometime to allow private sector invest in these infrastructure. If you realize that infrastructure will help you transform your economy, generate the growth that you need to transform your economy, so on and so forth, and you realize also in all humility that government cannot provide all the answers, you will create room for private sector to come in and do what needs to be done. I mean, look at the telecommunications sector in Nigeria. At the time, we only had the government um, give us Nitel. I think that's what it was called at the time. But then when it was unlocked and private sector was allowed to invest, just look what's happening in Nigerian telecoms industries. There's so much competition. There's so much innovation. There's so much consumer option. There's so much, you know, the Nigerian, I think Nigerian telecoms industry is very sophisticated, probably the most sophisticated on the continent. And it can easily rival some EU telecom spaces. And because there's that room for private sector to come and do what it does best, so my counsel, again and our advocacy for government is get out of the way sometimes and allow private sector do what it does best. This is private sector strength. Private sector can never be in competition with public sector. It's impossible. There's a role for private sector. There's a role for public sector and public sector needs to recognize that and put in place the incentives, the environment to so encourage private sector come and invest and reinvest for years to come
0: really want to thank you um, so much. This was such great insights on what is going on in West African um, cities, yeah, how TEF is supporting entrepreneurs, women, youth, yes, seeing yes. the digital platforms that are being used, seeing the role of private sector. Yes. I'm very, very excited to see where West African cities are going to be oh, in another 10 go. to 20 years. Everyone again, my name is Dr. Jumo Ayondele, your host. this brings us to the end of our podcast episode. For more information on the publications that were referenced, they can be found on SWAC's MAPTA platform or indeed on the OECD SWAC website. So next time, and thank you again, um, Samachi. Thank you so much.